Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A strange spiraling white light was spotted in the early morning sky over Sydney with even sceptical witnesses wondering if it was a UFO. They were last seen on the beach with a tall man. And that's the best description police have ever had of him. More than 17 years after Harold Holt disappeared into raging surf at Cheviot Beach, his widow has finally revealed his last romantic words. Shocking, terrifying, mesmerising. That's the way a number of Australians have described their alleged encounter with the Yowie. It's time for the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. Welcome to the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. It's episode 182. I'm your host, Matthew Soul, and joining me is Holly Soul. See, I, I was I left a delay in there <laughs> to trick you. Or to trick Blake. Blake will like edit it out and then go back, listen to that, and go, God damn it, and then have to put it back in. <laughs> God damn it, Matthew, you son of a gun. Well, we were just reading some iTunes reviews. <laughs> Always a mistake. People Apple with iPhones, hates us. <laughs> uh, me especially, iPhone users don't seem to uh, to like what we do, uh, which is quite funny. Uh, but we do read uh, we read reviews occasionally, um, and there are some lovely ones too. So that's always nice. So if you have an iPhone and you like us, uh, drop us one of those little reviews. Just be honest. Like it can be a bad review. It can be a good review. I'm I'm happy with whatever it is. Uh, but we would love to see a few more nice reviews <laughs> in there. Um, it would be nice to see, but yeah, iPhone users. What's Unashamedly biased against us. <laughs> apparently, apparently every other, uh, format seems to be cool. So Android users, yay. Android, yay. Facebook, yay. Spotify, yay. Apple, bad. Apple's made Maddie sad. Which is sad because I like apples. They're yummy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, that's all the levity you're going to get. Uh, of course, we're about to start talking about uh, the infamous granny killer, John Walter Glover, later known as John Wayne Glover. Uh, it's time to actually discuss the culprit himself uh, for part two and the conclusion to the granny killer, which I don't like that moniker. I think I said in the last podcast, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. That's all right. He did actually earn a few other names we'll get into later. So let us talk about Mr. John Wayne Glover. John Glover was born on November 26, 1932 in Wolverhampton, England. He had a rough childhood, convicted of petty crimes such as purse snatching and small thefts from the time he was 14. His education suffered greatly due to custodial issues between divorced parents according to him later at his trial. What, so what does he mean by custodial issues? They both wanted custody or no one wanted custody? Was he one of those kids where they're like, you have him, no, you have him, no, you have him. That's not going to make you feel good. No, um, it was more they wanted him in order to hurt the other one. Oh, that's, one of always, those cases. that's always fun to do to a kid. I'm sure it doesn't screw them up. 
No, it definitely doesn't leave lasting psychological damage. He served in the post-World War II British Army, but was forced to leave when the commanders discovered these crimes on his record. That's interesting. You wouldn't think it would... Like, why did someone do due diligence way after the fact, after he'd already uh, enlisted and was actually Because people like to lie on their enlistment forms. I mean, I understand that, but he's already a soldier who gives a shit. I mean, if he's not it's a stealing on the army, if he's not stealing weaponry but out of the could. bunkers, I mean, he could. But if he's not, like, you know, walking around with a handgun stuffed down his pants, I mean, it's me, Holly. So I assume he'd be strapped to a nuclear bomb, like running it out of the <laughs> stuffed the under his shirt. <laughs> They'll never stop me now. Alert, Batman! The nuclear bomb's been stolen in the city. Blit. Glover had a troubled relationship with his mother, who was known to have had four husbands and a lot of lovers in her lifetime. Yeah, but what was a lot of lovers in, like, the 1940s, 1950s? Um, Anything from, like, kissing (laughs) your hand to waving at you on the street, I assume. No, no, I mean, like, not what constitutes a lover, but how many is too many lovers? A lot more than what she was married. And she was married four times. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, this is quite interesting as well because I believe that this honestly um, hits right on top of his uh, his victim type. Um, I think his early relationship with his mother, uh, I think the way he perceived her. And look, being married four times, perfectly fine. Having lots of lovers, also perfectly fine. Your body, your choice, whatever you want to do, man. Like uh, no judgment whatsoever. Just be aware of what it do to your kids. <laughs> Not, I mean, you do, do you really you have to them? worry about that? If you hate your kids. <laughs> like, I'd be like, hey, stop listing all my lovers, you weird kid, being all weird, looking at me weird. I think the problem isn't so much the fact that you have lovers as what the type of lover you have. So if you have the abusive post-World War II soldier coming into your house, beating the shit out of you, that's a little bit different to lovey-dovey romantic guy. Mm, but who is he saying? Like... Like when you say World War II soldier, are you suggesting that his mother was like just having it off with all the the returning soldiers or? Well, the entire generation went off to war, so there's not really much of a leeway on that one. But the the thing about it is that it definitely ingrained itself. Uh, I, I think it would not take much to speculate that little boy was jealous of attention that mummy gave to everyone else. Therefore, little boy saw mummy as dirty. Has been known to happen, yes. Yeah, especially in the way that, uh, you know, when we're talking, we will actually mention uh, another victim before we wrap all this up. But if you look at some of the other victims, the removal of the pantyhose and essentially leaving them half nude or the attempted molestation in the hospital, I think what he is trying to do during his ritual is essentially the old uh, mummy naughty mummy shouldn't have sex with other people, mummy sacred, Madonna whore complex. And then, therefore, he then transferred that um, onto his victims. Not that he'll admit to that, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Glover immigrated from England to Australia in 1956 or 57 as a 10-pound pom. Um, do you want to explain 10-pound poms? Yeah, the government gave you 10 pounds to move to Australia. <laughs> Pretty simple, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like a, the, the British government was like, Here's no, ten- the Australian government Sorry. would pay them. Ten pounds was a lot back in those days. I think so. Yeah, I think it was like hundred, two hundred dollars. Isn't it funny how this country has switched from uh, come like, to our shores to yeah. fuck off, we're full. 
Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? We used to actually pay people to move to Australia. (laughs) He arrived with little more than his clothes on his back and had no real skills to speak of, except those which founded Australia. You know, petty theft, the ability to swing a hammer, and the ability to shoot straight in the line. Within 12 months of his trial, he was charged with two counts of larceny in Victoria and a theft charge in New South Wales, which made him well on his way to becoming a naturalised citizen. <laughs> dig, 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 yeah. dig, <laughs> Who are you digging? You're the one digging Australians, yourself. Australians, dig, dig, dig. <laughs> but see, this is the thing too. Like, I have legitimate convict history. You don't. You don't get to pretend <laughs> that you're of the lower class, Holly. You are two generations <laughs> removed. Four. Four gen? Four gen. Great grandma's mum. Okay. You are four generations removed from a huge stockpile of wealth. So don't come into my space. Don't come into my world and tell me how, you know, a naturalized citizen should be a convict. That is not where you come from. (laughs) That is me. Are you calling racism? This feels an awful lot like you're calling racism. I'm just saying that there are two people- Two Australian citizens sitting in this room right now. One of them is more dinky die than the other. <laughs> in 1962, Glover assaulted two women in Melbourne and was arrested. He was convicted of two counts of assault, two counts of indecent assault, one of assault occasionally actually bodily harm, and four counts of larceny related to the incident. In spite of his record, he was sentenced to a three-year good behaviour bond and let go. These attacks were savage and violent, and on each occasion, he'd strip clothes from his victim. He was disturbed both times before the assaults could become rape or murder. During his second attack, police arrived in time to chase down 29-year-old Glover and drag him back to the station. At the time, he was a TV rigger for the ABC, living in the quiet Melbourne suburb of Camberwell. God, I I miss the past where you could literally immigrate to another country have 10 pounds in your pocket, and then end up as a, as a rigger on the ABC, you know. Probably it, owned his own house and everything. Yeah, like just jobs were handed out to people back in the day. Here's a house. Immigrate to this country for free. Also, here's $10 for your trouble. And, uh, you know, work for the Australian Broadcasting Commission. Go forth and multiply. <laughs> you know. Nowadays, it's like you're, you're competing with a thousand people for a Woolworths job or a Coles job or a IGA job or some retail job. Janitor job or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Provide five resumes and a video CV before we'll consider you to uh, be authorised to use this mop and bucket. A different set of investigating police, curious about the first attack which they were investigating, stopped Glover on his way out of the police station and questioned him relating to their own case. He was subsequently charged with both crimes. That's a bad day when you walk out and a detective's like, hey, uh, wait a minute. I want to talk to you about this other crime that we may suspect you of. Oh, gee. Oh, I just shucks. got bail. Oh, Come on. My luck just gets worse and worse today. In 1968, Glover, Glover married Jacqueline Gail Gay Rolls. I decided I was going to put her full name in because otherwise she's just identified as gay roles. And I figured Matthew would cack himself laughing. I mean, like teenage Matthew would have, would have giggled at that. You silent laughed before you started talking because you had to get under control. I did. (laughs) Which isn't the same as a full on belly laugh. 
They moved into his parents-in-law's house where he continually had issues with his mother-in-law, Essie. Because Glover has mummy issues. Glover has issues with elderly female authority. And as he's moved on from his mother, he is now being forced to deal with yet another mother figure. And he's a screw-up. Like, he's been a screw-up his entire life from from point A to point B. And I'm sure he heard plenty of, Damn it, John Wayne Glover, you'll never be any good. You'll never be worth anything. And now it's happening all over again. And it's really interesting because John Wayne Glover doesn't start killing until much later in life, as far as we know. And it really seems to be that his mother-in-law set him up for that. On an unrelated note, I'd like to say a big uh, hello to our wonderful listener, Veronica Hunt. Hope you're doing really well. Unrelated. (laughs) Completely unrelated. Definitely not your mother-in-law you're talking to. (laughs) She knows. She knows. She loves me. It's all good. We have a great relationship. Yeah, you both stay at opposite ends of the state. <laughs> Not really opposite Well, it's the ends. same relationship I have with my siblings. We're just kind of two, yeah. three hours between each other. Oh, my good. I'm always just worried she's going to hit me over the back of the head with a rolling pin or something. That's all. I'm just waiting for the violence. Rolling pin. You've seen her chicken killing Tommy Hawk, That's really? That's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and her boning nuts. As well. Gay's father was very sick and requested the newlyweds join them to assist in keeping up the house. A separate wing was built onto the house so that their pair and their daughters, Kelly and Marnie, would live almost separately from Essie and her husband until he died in 1981. Ah, the good old days where you could just add an extra wing to your house on a whim. Oh, you can do that now. It's just not great. On what? There's no backyard. You have to build up. Remember the first place we were looking to buy when we started actually actively looking to buy a home and there was a quote-unquote sunroom. Oh, yeah attached which could be dismounted from the building at any time you can't see it but i'm doing a lot of air quotes here that's not really a wing that's just a room like a wing is almost a separate house joined by a door i remember when i asked the real estate agent i was like you know this uh this wing uh council approved she got real quiet real quick Mm -hmm. according to glover essie was a tyrant a fact which was all but confirmed by the staff at the nursing home Essie lived in until her death in 1988. Hey, the year I was born. When police came through to interview them. Yeah, look. uh, She a bitch? Yeah, she's a real fucking bitch. (laughs) Staff staff at a nursing home generally have a pretty good feel for who your parents are. If it's a good nursing home, if it's one of those bad nursing homes, upgrade to a good nursing home. Um, but yeah, when it's a good nursing home, good staff, and the, as soon as you mention someone's name and they give you the old, uh, you know that they were a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Glover's mother, Frida, emigrated to Australia in either 1986 or, sorry, 1976 or 1982. But by 1982, she had shown up in his door looking for someone to watch over her as she reached her end of life care. Glover loathed Frida Underwood, her fourth married name, almost as much as he loathed Essie Rolls. With the two living under the same roof, it was almost too much for him. I have... 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To go to the pub. You're always going to the pub. Look, he's always going to the pub. Yes, he is always going to the pub. I have to get out of here because I like to meet my friends at the pub and I will be going now. And then two seconds after that, he murdered the shit out of someone, no doubt. Oh, mother and mother-in-law make me crazy. Oh, mother and mother-in-law yep. make me crazy. <laughs> Uh, we have a quote here from Poor Kids, never to be released. It was a shock to the system. Just the thought of having them both under the one roof was more than anyone could stand. And Poor Kid said anyone, by the way. He didn't just say John Wayne Glover. He said anyone. anyone. Glover almost forced Frida from the house and she moved to Gosford, 100 kilometres north of Sydney, finally succumbing to breast cancer there in 1989. The same year that she died, Glover was diagnosed with male breast cancer, which is actually very rare. After a mastectomy, he developed a prostate condition and became sexually impotent. Couldn't get it up at all in no way, shape or form. It's actually pronounced impotent. Go stick it somewhere. That's what I'm going to say. I didn't, I didn't come up with the pronunciation of the word, and I don't know how to deal with your last well, statement. Potency so, means- So, I'm just going to let- Potency uh, is strength, so no potency is impotency. Impotency. It's, no, it's impotency. He's impotent. He's impotent, whatever. That's yep. my point. Fair enough. Well, it wasn't actually a point. That was kind of the problem. Matt. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> So put that in a recording. <laughs> so a couple of things that I want to uh, talk about here, and I think it's really important. Um, so Glover saw contracting breast uh, from from getting breast cancer as contracting breast cancer from his mother. So he blamed her for that. He also felt that it attacked his dignity, and he blamed her for that. And then. As soon as this happens, he ends up having prostate issues, which leaves him unable to become sexually aroused. He goes all the way back through and blames his mother She's for that. She's getting me from beyond the grave, that bitch. And that's it. Like at, at that point, I think his psychosis is well and truly locked in. Um, now, you know, uh, a male uh, having breast cancer is incredibly rare, but a lot of males have uh, small amounts of, uh, can have small amounts of breast tissue. 
it's on their not, body. It's not can have, it's you do have. It just yeah. doesn't develop the same way that a female's does. Yeah. So the reason why it's so rare is just because you have a smaller quantity. Yeah, but the potential for like for male chest cancer or, I mean, you call well, it breast it cancer techni- anyway. It is technically breast tissue. Because it is of the breast. We all have, that. that is the technical term for the chest. You have breast. a nipple, you have breasts. Just deal. <laughs> Reminds me of that really bad joke from uh, Meet the Parents. I've never watched it. Oh, I won't bore you with it. Okay. Uh, But at any rate, you can see here like the the diminishing manhood, right? He's come into a home. He's got two overbearing older women that he despises, constantly berating him and telling him what to do. Then after that, he contracts, he contracts, quote unquote, a female disease. Then after that, his dick doesn't work anymore. Now, a rational person is going to be able to understand what's going on with themselves. You know, uh, they you know, cancer. Ah, oh, damn, that's a that's a really shitty thing that's happened to me. But that's cool. I, I'll I'll beat it. You know, there are all these amazing um, cancer survivors out there, and all of you are absolute champions. But it's like when it comes to the impotence. Well, you know, a little blue pill was on its way that could have solved those problems as well. But you can see like his psychosis is completely dependent on a const- what he perceives as a constant t- attacks on his manhood. Yep. Glover separated from his wife who took their daughters across the ditch to New Zealand. Before this happened, he was a volunteer at the Senior Citizen Society in Mossman, Sydney and was considered friendly and trustworthy. Among his friends was counted a former mayor of Mossman, Don Lopez, with whom he would often have a drink at the local Mossman RSL club and whom he counted as a friend for 15 years. His position as a volunteer at the Senior Citizen Society, where he assisted elderly patients as they socialised and made the best of the rest of their lives. Unfortunately, that meant he was in trusted positions when it came to some of the most vulnerable members. He was also an employee at 4 and 20 Pies, which is shit. (laughs) I actually like a good four and twenty. They're greasy and horrible. I hate them. Really? Yep. This coming from you, the 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 woman who I prefer my pies. Oh look, your pies are delicious. <laughs> hey, if if it's a choice between your delicious homemade pie and a, a fucking four and twenty, I'm going with yours. Like that. That's not a question here, right? But four and twenty is better than home brand. Yeah, and you still you like home brand stuff a lot no, more than that. I like Sergeant's pies. Sergeants are not a home brand version. I am happy to eat four and 20 or sergeants. It really doesn't bother me. Mrs. Max is just too much. I don't want that. Mrs. Max is fine too. Hey, any of you guys can sponsor the- Who wants to sponsor the podcast? <laughs> Pies, everybody, Pies. Yeah? Four and 20. I'll make Holly do the ad rates. <laughs> oh, shit. I love four and 20 pies. They are really- Crunchy. <laughs> Buy them. Next. <laughs> As an employee of 4 and 20, he was often seen travelling around villages and hospitals acting as a sales representative. Sometimes he moved off his rounds and randomly appeared in wards and private rooms in wards and private rooms where he often ran into trouble. On the 6th of June 1989, Glover molested 77-year-old Marjorie Mosley at the Wesley Gardens Retirement Home in Beltrose. Mrs. Mosley reported to hospital staff and police that a man had put his hand under her nightgown, but that she could not remember what he looked like. 
As such, police could not continue an investigation. On the 24th of June, Glover visited the Caroline Chisholm nursing home in Lane Cove, where he lifted the dress of an elderly patient and fondled her buttocks. In a neighbouring room, he slid his hand down the front of another patient's nightdress and stroked her breasts. The woman cried out for help and Glover was briefly questioned by staff at the hospital before leaving consequence free. And I mean, we've discussed this as well. There is a... You know, we we especially we went through that when we covered our um our Catholic abuse um episode. It was not to be mentioned, you know, it was improper. Like the fact that this man was allowed to move around the nursing home in such a fashion meant that it looked bad on the nursing home. The fact that it was a sexual crime meant that no one wanted to talk about it because it was indecent to talk about sexual crime. These were all problems around these eras where people were more worried about the um, preconceptions appearances and appearances than actually protecting victims. And in this case, that meant the Glover could have been taken off the streets far quicker before he'd even murdered anyone. On the 8th of August, Glover assaulted an elderly lady, Effie, Effie Carney, in a back street of Linfield on Sydney's Upper North Shore. He was not caught for this either. On the 6th of October, Glover pretended to be a doctor and ran his hand up the dress of Phyllis McNeil, a patient at the Wybena Nursing Home in the Lower North Shore suburb of Neutral Bay. Glover left when the blind McNeil called for help. Again, he left the hospital without anyone identifying him as the culprit. And then, on October 18, Glover followed 86-year-old widow Doris Cox along Spit Road, Mossman, to her retirement village. In the secluded stairwell at the front of the house, he attacked her, ramming her face into a brick wall. Although she survived the assault, she was not able to provide a clear description or recollection of events, possibly due to head injury, dementia, or other factors. According to her, the attacker was a young man, possibly a teenager or a skateboarder. Cox assisted police with an identikit drawing, but again, the scene had been cleaned by neighbours before oh, investigators it, I arrived. We were past this, and so the investigation didn't go very far. Stop it! Now, those attacks—all five of those attacks—actually took place just before he t- uh, met Mrs. Pa- Pahu. Prehu, I think that's—I can't remember how you say the name. Pabu. No, it was. I'm just scrolling back. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give you a little bit of time to cover your tracks there. Um, and this is what this is our ramping up period. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what we're talking about here. Um, there is a sexual nature to his crimes, and interestingly enough, he denies that there's a sexual aspect to his crimes when he's interviewed by police later on. And I find that fascinating because he is so ashamed of what he's doing, yet he has this incredible compulsion to continue to do it. And obviously, He says he's impotent, but I don't think he is. I think he is achieving sexual arousal through these crimes. And I think that he is using the idea of impotence as a cover. I think that doing this actually got him to where he needed to be. Two weeks before, two weeks after the attack on Mrs. Cox, he would later assist Mrs. Benecki with her shopping and then attack Margaret Pahod as she was walking past with her groceries. So that's where that fits into that timeline. 
Detective Inspector Mike Hagen was assigned to the head of the task force designated to bring in the, quote, granny killer because the newspapers are always the one that come up with this shit. Yeah, see, I find granny killer to be a little bit, um, I don't know. Soft? Not, no, it just seems nasty. Like, it seems disrespectful. A week after the incident with Daisy Roberts at Greenwich Hospital, the police returned to said hospital with a photograph of Glover which both the nurse and Roberts positively identified. Although this was a significant breakthrough, the hospital assaults were not linked to the murders, nor reported to the murder task force for three weeks. The police were sure they were looking for a younger man or a teenager with a granny fetish, and so they were turned away from the possibility that a middle-aged man could be the culprit of the killings. Yeah, for the longest time they blamed a kid. They thought it was an opportunistic crime from a child, and... It allowed Glover to continue to move on pretty freely. Um, And again, as I said in the previous episode, I don't really fault the police on this. They actually, like, it makes sense. It's not illogical that they would look at a teenager doing it. Um, The problem is that there are more than, the. you know, my first job, I I knocked off at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It was great. There were... They narrowed their field of vision and that allowed for Glover to continue to move about. I have a big issue with this in that every serial killer you could name is over the age of 20. Dharma, Ramirez, John Wayne Gacy. Yep. The Snowtown Boys. All of the serial killers are over the age of 20. It's never a teenager. Yeah, but there have been teenage serial killers. You know, and and I think Name one off the top of your head. Me. No. <laughs> Damn it. I'm giving it away. They'll find the bodies now. Um, there are definitely kids who do kill. You know, yes, there are definitely- because you have like the killing of the child over in England that yeah. is gone everywhere, but that's not a serial killing. Yeah. But I mean, those kids would have like continued to kill. But it wasn't a serial um, killing. Because they were caught earlier. Uh, I do. I understand the point you're trying to make, um, but I think even though- watching the documentaries and watching the specials and things like that. They all say, you know, oh, I think we had a serial killer on our hands. I think we had a serial killer on their hands. I don't think they thought this was serial crime for quite some time into the investigation. Or at least there were three or four different serial crimes. Yeah, I I don't think that they were active. They thought they were actively chasing a serial killer um, during at least the, the first couple because a lot of them felt unconnected anyway. Um, so I think it's sort of like they retrospectively attached the label serial killer. It wasn't until he started arranging the shoes and the walking stick and it became a very yeah. clear symbol you know, that it would have been stupid for them to turn around and go, nah, they're not connected. Yeah. I mean, like like we were saying in the previous episode, 1974 is when the behavioral sciences just start getting started. Serial killers are not the mainstream yet. And a lot of the time they were considered an American problem, not an Australian problem. Detectives from Chatswood Police Station contacted and confirmed Glover's name via his employers. Detectives contacted Glover and requested he attend an interview at a station the following day. When he failed to appear, the police rang his home and were informed by his wife that he had attempted suicide by overdose and was thus recovering at the Royal North Shore Hospital. Police went to the hospital to see Glover, but he declined to be interviewed, though he did permit them to take a photograph. He was re-interviewed on January 18, but didn't say much. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On January 18, staff at the hospital handed police a suicide note that was written by Glover in the middle of the page on 4 and 20 Pies business paper. Man, 4 and 20 Pies must have. We've some, got a Mrs. Lovett problem going on here, I think. Some, some <laughs> PR guy was like, how the fuck did we employ this piece of shit? <laughs> He's bringing us down, man. That suicide note contained the words, no more grannies, no more grannies, and Essie started it. Matthew, your insight. <laughs> um, it's interesting here for two things. Um, I mean, what's what's not so interesting? Essie started it. Well, it's, it's quite obvious where his problems come from. Um, you know, that goes without saying. And I'm not even suggesting that the elderly women in his life were probably that bad. They probably weren't. He was just a fucking screw up and they were pointing it out. You know, I think he had the compulsion to kill um, and the compulsion to molest and and all these sort of things long before he had these major issues. Um, No more grannies, no more grannies is interesting. And it's interesting because it shows something. It shows remorse. Now, a lot of the time, these serial killers and John Wayne Glover is not an exception to this. They try and play the insanity defense, right? This to me indicates that he was fully within his capacity. He understood what he was doing. And he also understood that it was against the law. He understood that he was committing crimes. He is showing remorse. But unlike most serial killers, he is actually showing some sort of remorse. The only other serial killer that I can think, well, there were, there is two. There's the weepy killer um, there's actually, well, they called him the weepy killer because he'd murder someone, then call up 911 and then start crying about it. Yeah, that's why I laughed. Um, so they, and he's, he's really pathetic, sobby crying too. It sounds like a, a wet, slobbery. Yeah, like if you hear his voice, you immediately get an image of who that guy was. Um, Jeffrey Dahmer, I think also, it, he showed some remorse. Uh, he had to get blackout drunk to do what he did. Uh, he sat in court looking completely dejected. And I honestly do believe that, you know, there, there was a lot of um, so, like, you know, there was internal pain when it came to Jeffrey Dahmer. There was a lot of problems with Jeffrey. And I think it's the same case here with John Wayne Glover. He knows what he's doing. He's actually remorseful for it. And I think that's where that, that, that statement, no more grannies, no more grannies plays into his psychology. Two weeks later, the suicide note and photo were passed on to the task force, whereby detectives believed immediately that Glover was the killer, though they had no evidence. Mostly circumstantial at this point. Glover was interviewed over the nursing home assaults and denied all accusations. Police had limited evidence and decided not to question him over the murders, which would have let Glover know of their suspicions. Glover was put under constant video surveillance, including at one stage with an automatic tracking device. He was also put under police surveillance as well. To make sure he was not being followed all the time, Glover would drive around the block more than once or drive the wrong way up one-way streets in order to throw the police off. I don't think he was doing that at all. You know what I think he was (laughs) actually doing? 
I think he he knew the heat was on. He knew the fuzz was coming for him. But I don't think he was like figured he'd been tailed. Got to shake, got to shake. Yeah. He was fighting with himself. He was fighting with his compulsion to kill. He would probably drive to where he thought he could find another victim and turn around. Because he was worried that if he gave in to his impulses, that the police would not be far behind him. But I don't think he, he realised just how close they were to him. For two months, Glover kept police at arm's length, keeping his hammer clean. But his restraint would only last so long. On March 19, 1990, 60-year-old divorcee Joan Sinclair was in a platonic relationship with Glover. So, okay, so you say platonic, other people have said that it was sexual. Why Why do you say platonic? Uh, platonic is the word that was used in the newspaper at that point in time, which yep. is why I use it. I use primary, secondary sources. Nowadays, modern people, we have all kinds of implements and different ways of having sexual relationships without using a dick. So, a sexual relationship can continue. Back then, people were in denial. I think they had a fully active sexual relationship. Yeah. I, I don't. You can I don't have think sex without using your dick. No, no. <laughs> Why are you stuck on that? I'm just saying, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. Why, Why like you are went, you coming back to it? Well, that's uh, <laughs> well. Um, I think it's going to factor in later. It's just what the the thing that is sticking. Like oral sex means that you're not in a platonic any form of. That's intimacy. what I mean. That's well, what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, people back then were just in denial. Yeah, well, that's the. I agree with you. Then it's just a very roundabout way that we got to that. Um, well, I played both options. It's just you. You have. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm going to stop talking. On. Um, Blake, <laughs> isolate all those clips and post them up later for everyone's enjoyment. Um, regardless of that diversion. Uh, yeah, I don't believe they're in a platonic relationship, which is just a friendly relationship um, that where there is no you sexual component. Uh, I do actually believe that they were in um, some sort of uh, affair. Well, one of the newspapers said that she answered the door wearing negligee, so doesn't sound very platonic to me. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, what's interesting about this as well, uh, you know, the surveillance on Glover was pretty extreme at this point. Um there was a detective who was canvassing. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I don't know if you came across this. Unfortunately, one of the nursing homes she was canvassing had a very um, uh, knowledgeable receptionist. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the detective's talking to her and she's like, look, you know, um, we're after this person could be a suspect in a murder case. Um, are you aware of uh, any sales representatives from any pie companies coming through? And she goes, could that be four and 20 pies? And she goes, yes, absolutely. And she goes, well, does that mean you may be interested in John Wayne Glover? And she said, look, he could be associated with the case. Oh, that's my husband. <laughs> no, I didn't come across that. You didn't that. come across that? And this, this really upset the detective because she thought she'd blown the case. She thought she'd blown surveillance because now if he hadn't suspected before that they were onto him, and I honestly believe that he, he did suspect that, um, now they would de he definitely knew, you know. And she, the, the detective said to her, like, look, you know, are you going to tell him that we've had this interaction today? And whether or not this is true, 
uh, she turned around and said, I won't tell him because the last time he thought he was a suspect, he tried to kill himself. So I'm not going to tell him about this incident. It's up in the air as to whether she did or not. I don't know. Well, if she had previous experience on him being a suspect and trying to kill himself, which he did try and do, it would make sense that she wouldn't want to have to repeat with that, especially with two late teenage girls having to explain to them why daddy did it again. Could you imagine how devastating it was for that detective to go from, I think I've got a hot lead to, to, uh, oh, I've just, I've blown this case. Um, It wasn't her fault. Like, and her colleagues didn't blame her either. Like it was just bad luck. Um, But yeah, just a little interesting aside there. Police were watching Glover constantly to the point where they sat in the car out front of Joan's house as Glover let her in at about 10 a.m. The the other problem with this is too, they had him under surveillance. He had told the 4 and 20 Pie Company that he was going to see his solicitor. Now, because he was greeted at the door so cordially, the police at the front assumed that it was all above board, that that actually could be the solicitor he was meeting. Um, It is also something to point out. Joan Sinclair is 60. He is 56. There is only four-year age gap between them. So, it's definitely not his type. MO, yeah. So, yeah. By 1 p.m., the police had seen no sign of Glover or Joan and kept a close eye on the house. When there seemed to have been no movement at all by 5pm, the police radioed back to headquarters and received permission to enter at 6. Yeah, so the detectives felt the something was really off. Uh, It started to get dark, no lights were popping on in the house, and Glover had not left the house. So they organised some uniformed police to go on a door knock, and they they, they actually were quite clever in coming up with a cover for this. There was a dog constantly barking in the street, so they were going to knock on the door and ask about a noise violation. Um, unfortunately, the rest unfolds the way it unfolds. Yeah, there was no answer to the door when they knocked, so the officers circled the house and through a back window saw a hammer laying in a pool of dry blood on a mat. Four detectives entered the house and found Joan's body lying on the floor. Her battered head was wrapped in a bundle of blood-soaked towels. She was naked from the waist down and her pantyhose was tied around her neck. Her genitals were damaged, but Glover later denied raping her. After finding Sinclair's body, they searched the house for Glover and he was found unconscious in the filled bathtub. So in the first episode, I compare Glover uh, to, I mean, you can compare him to two serial killers. Uh, John Wayne Gacy obviously shares a namesake with John Wayne Glover. Um, fast, uh, fast tip for all you guys out there. Uh, don't name your kid after John fucking Wayne. That's number one. That's a very important tip. Don't you let know. them change their name to be John Wayne. Yeah, because you you're setting your, your kid up for a, a bunch of failure. It'd be if, like I called my kid Arnold Schwarzenegger's soul. It's just not going to happen. And you set them up for some unrealistic expectations. So that's number one. Like the, there's obviously a connection there to, you know, these uh, hyper-masculine archetypes like John Wayne. Um, so that's number one. The other comparison I made was to the Boston Strangler, um, specifically in the way that the victims are presented. Um, Now, John Wayne Glover, he was adamant that nothing sexual had happened, though he has a massive history of sexual assault. 
he was aroused by what he was doing. What I think happened if he wasn't, uh, you know, I'm going to get really graphic here. So this is, this is a like, you know, if, if you need to fast forward the next two minutes, like by all means, I completely understand. Um, If you're still here, this is on you. The degradation to the genitalia could happen through one or two things. Um, Could be rape, but he says that he can't get it up. Like he, he, the doctor says he can't get it up. He says that he has a medical condition, right? I think he may have inflicted those wounds with the hammer. And the reason that he did that is because in the same way that the Boston Strangler used to present his victim's genitalia to the first people who'd walk through the door. Um, I think that was the object of Glover's hatred. He hated femininity. That was the representation of the females in his life, which he had massive issues with. And I think he went nuts and just attacked her most likely post-mortem. And uh, that's, you know, the object of his pain was represented in the most feminine aspect of his victims, you know, and I think that that psychosexual component is really on show here. Um, and again, that's my my personal theory. I mean, like you can't, you need to look at the coroner's report and see what they said um, about whether the uh, the damage was inflicted before or after death. But I feel like, it, like looking at his MO, he hits with the hammer first to disable the victim and kill the victim. So I, I do think that the damage done to the rest of the body happened post-mortem. And, this, and that was why he did it, was the symbology of it. Police later interviewed Glover and he admitted to killing the woman. He beat her around the head and strangled her with a penny hose. Then he rolled her body into a mat, wrapped towels around her head wounds in an effort to hold back the blood flow, and then dragged her body across the room. He then ran the bath, swallowed a handful of Valium and a bottle of Vat 69 whiskey, slashed his left wrist, and lay in the tub to die. He got pretty bloody close too, like they had to revive him on the scene. Well, that's alcohol poisoning, an overdose of Valium, yeah. and slashing your wrist in a cold bathtub, your yeah. blood's going to spread real he fast. He was trying. He, he was genuinely trying to, uh, to kill himself. Instantaneous remorse. You know- I also think that uh, Joan is not part of his MO. It's not part of his psychosis to a certain extent. Joan was also another mistake that if it was found out after the fact, he would add that to his collective life failures. You know, he is misattributing his own failures and squarely positioning on, you know, this the, these people that he considers tyrants the elderly women that he's abusing, they're representatives of Essie. He wanted to kill Essie because and, he's and what, Yeah. He is what's called a displacement killer, right? Um, Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Big giant guy. I can't remember his name. Edmund Kemper. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can remember his name. Edmund Kemper 
was a displacement killer, right? He hated his mother. He wanted mummy to die. He attacked the women that his mother lorded over him. You know, they're too good for you. You'll never have those girls. And that's who he attacked. But at the end of the day, he just wanted to murder mummy. When it comes to John Wayne Glover, he just wanted to murder mummy. He has mummy. Like this dude is so fucking textbook that it's unbelievable. The only thing that's kind of outside the normal for this guy is the remorse. And we have another quote here from never to be released. When he was charged with murdering six elderly women, his wife, Gay, and two daughters, both in their late teens, were stunned. There had never been the slightest inclination that the man they loved as husband and father was indeed the granny killer. Glover's trial under Justice Woods commenced March 28, 1990. He pled not guilty by way of diminishing responsibility to six charges of murder. Psychiatrist John Shand said during the trial that Glover had severe personality disorder, not a sexual motivation for the murders. He built up a pile of hostility and aggression from childhood against his mother and then his mother-in-law. She was the lightning conductor, and when she died, he had to take it out on other people. This is a very unusual case because there are very few mass murderers and most of them are mad and have an organic disease of the brain. He is not mad. And I would also go so far as to say that that psychologist is full of shit and absolutely wrong. There's um, like he he makes the assertion there that uh, mass murderers have to be insane in order to do what they do. Um, That's not the case whatsoever. Psychopaths are not insane. They lack empathy. They lack control over their impulses, but they are not insane they may end up going a little bit cuckoo, you know, like they may end up getting uh, like, you know, Ted Bundy, like yelling at at corpses and shit like that. Um, And they're definitely not sane, but they're not mad. Most of them run Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. They're definitely not insane. And it's interesting too, you know, discussing the, an organic disease of the brain it will be i think argued to the end of end of time you know do is it nature or nurture that creates serial killers i don't even have an answer for that i think uh, the, the most i can say is that i think it may be a combination of both as with everything during the trial the issue was raised of the apparently sexually motivated crimes specifically regarding the pantyhose around the victim's neck Glover was impotent and didn't have any interest in sex, according to him. I mean, he says that, but then again, it it's interesting. Like, there's obviously a sexual component to his crimes because of what he would do. Um, there's evidence of sexual assault, which suggests that there is a sexual nature to them. Um, do you... I think it would not be outside the realm of possibility to suggest that he was also achieving sexual climax during his murders. And that was possibly the only way he could achieve sexual climax. We have a quote here from the Canberra Times. A salesman who was admitted in court to killing six elderly women told police they had an uncanny resemblance to his dead mother-in-law, a jury heard yesterday. John Wayne Glover also allegedly said his mother-in-law, Essie, used to live with his family, causing them problems, and he had wished she would hurry up and die. In a goodbye note written after the first of two unsuccessful suicide attempts, 
Glover allegedly wrote as he started it all, as well as No More Grannies. The prosecutor for the case maintained that not only was Glover conscious of what he was doing, laying the false trail with the pantyhose, but he knew what he was going to do with the money taken from his victims and had the ability to choose his victims and stay his hand if need be. He also took the time to clean the hammer with acid after every kill, which meant that he was looking after his tool of trade. He knew what he was doing. He was destroying evidence. Um, You only destroy evidence if you think you're guilty. For example, and this is a pretty horrendous example. Oh, God. uh, The uh, vampire of Sacramento. Uh, Be very careful looking into that case. It's it's rough. Uh, When they walked into his apartment, it was absolutely splattered with blood. blood and entrails and parts of victims. Because he was genuinely crazy. Like he was insane. He didn't think he needed to cover his crimes. John Wayne Glover does, therefore knows what he's doing, knows it's wrong, which means that he is legally liable for what he is doing. If he knows he's going to get in trouble for doing it, then he does not have a diminished capacity for it. Correct. 100%. Matthew, there's another quote here for you to read from the Canberra Times. Defence witness Dr. John Shand, a psychiatrist, told the New South Wales Supreme Court jury the accused had stated it was as if an alter ego takes over. He said Glover had a severe mental disorder which was not likely to be treated effectively and there was a risk of further homicidal behaviour. The defence of diminished responsibility applied to the killings. Dr. Shand also said he found it difficult to accept that Glover had not carried out other offences from the from the time of his early convictions in the 60s to the six killings. There's a gap of about 20 years where he didn't actually attack anyone that they know of, and they're like, yeah, no, that's not likely. Yeah. Glover had an addiction to the pokies, and the only way to feed his addiction was to steal. All the money taken from his victims was fed through the pokies at at Mossman RSL Club. This was demonstrated as the police brought Glover's previous offences into the context of these new charges. In the end, it took the jury two and a half hours to return their guilty verdict and declare they believed him sane at the type of the murders. He was sentenced to six lifetimes in prison. And we have a quote from the judge. This is a case where it seems to me that my hands are tied. I have no alternative than to impose, in respect of each offence of murder, the maximum sentence available. It is clear he took whatever time he needed to gratify his desires, he said. Where the opportunity was less available and where the risks were higher, he retreated as quickly as he went in. He is a man of extreme cunning and extreme dangerousness who thinks it is appropriate to attack whenever and wherever it suits him and to hold, stay his hand when it does not. The sentences mean he will be required to spend the rest of his natural life in jail. Glover earned many monikers during his spree, the Granny Killer, the Mossman Monster, and the North Shore Killer being some of them. I like the Mossman Monster. That's the best one. We might name the episode that just to screw with everybody. (laughs) Because he specialised in attacking older women, the police had yet to deal with this kind of issues before. Usually the attackers went after younger women. As such, it was harder for them to piece the pattern together. Ironically, considering there was a pattern... Right in front of them. Yeah. Uh, quote from the Sydney Morning Herald. Anyone who looked weird in the Mossman area, we pulled them in. Hippies, druggies, 
crazies. We were not looking for a man of 58, happily married with a couple of kiddies, employed, well-dressed, well-respected in the community. We were not looking for John Wayne Glover, and maybe that's one of the reasons he got away with it for so long. Glover was imprisoned at Lithgow Prison, where he was held in maximum security. In May 2005, he was put on suicide watch after a collapse, which was later deemed a fake. On September 10, 2005, he was found dead in his cell and pronounced deceased at 1.25pm after hanging himself. Now, over the years, Glover's name has been attached to a number of murdered women, but with his suicide, this involvement is unconfirmed. And we have one more quote from the Sydney Morning Herald to round this out. One was the Sydney artist and socialite Florence Broadhurst, who was found bludgeoned to death inside her apartment in 1977. Glover had met her at his brother's wedding in 1972. The others include Josephine McDonald, 73, who was found bashed at her home in 1984, and Wanda Emdenson, 83, who was found dead at Yumina in 1988. There were five other cases of vicious assaults on elderly women in their homes in the Gosford, Etalong, and Woiwoi areas during the same period that were unsolved. Those attacks occurred during Glover's sales runs in the suburbs and at a time when he had become impotent and depressed at discovering he had breast cancer. So there you go. He could have committed a few other attacks and that would actually help bridge those 20 years. Yeah. Um, Detective Hagen absolutely believes that he is responsible for far more attacks, uh, not only limited to Sydney, but maybe some in Melbourne as well. Um, But that ends... Uh, the very sad, pathetic life of John Wayne Glover, a.k.a. the Granny Killer, a.k.a. the Mossman Monster. So, everyone's sad now. No one, uh, no one is happy about what's happened. And uh, we've got a real, we've got some fun coming for you next uh, episode. Another animal? Is that yes, what's it will be the end of the poll. Ah, that's right. Yes, the current poll that is happening. Thank you for reminding me, Holly. For only a dollar a month USD, uh, you can participate in our Patreon polls and that allows you to pick or help to pick one episode a month uh, for the Weird Crap in Australia podcast. So if you'd like to uh, jump on board and become a little bit of a producer uh, for Weird Crap in Australia, you can do that via our Patreon page. Just type in weirdcrapinaustralia.com take you straight there Uh, but if you need more weird crap in australia in your life you can subscribe for five dollars usd a month and that allows you uh to get our bonus minisodes that we produce each week as well as listen to an audiobook chapter uh coming from uh weird crap in australia volume one and we're releasing those weekly so you get something on monday which is mainline episodes ad free tuesday you get yourself a minisode wednesday you get yourself an audiobook chapter and you get to participate in polls. And very soon, we're going to be doing another Patreon shout out. So if you want to be involved in any of that, easiest way to do it is to head to weirdcrapinaustralia.com and sign up on our Patreon page. Big thank you, of course, to all of our Patreon supporters uh, who make this podcast possible. Uh, if you'd like to grab yourself a Weird Crap in Australia t-shirt, don't forget, head to Redbubble, uh, type in Weird Crap in Australia, or alternatively, you can use the direct link weirdcrapinaus.redbubble.com. You can grab yourself a Weird Crap in Australia t-shirt, uh, coasters, bath mats, you name it. If uh, Redbubble can slap a design on it, that's what they do. Um, so you can make yourself some custom Weird Crap in Australia merch. 
Uh, books, books. We make books. We have written books. We Crab in Australia, Volume 1 and 2, are now out chronicling our first two years of research. Um, myself and Holly have co-wrote these books. We're very proud of them. And uh, Volume 1 is now in its second edition. And Volume 2 just came out uh, in October. So if you'd like to grab... September. So, sorry, September, September 1st. If you'd like to grab any of those, you can do so via Amazon.com for the Kindle edition. Uh, you can grab yourself a physical copy from Lulu.com. I nearly said Lulu. L-U-L-U.com. And you can grab it from our great mates at Impact Comics, uh, www.impactcomics.com.au. They also do Australia-wide shipping, so make sure you give them a buzz at the moment they've got stock of volume one and volume two in their nice new covers it's very exciting uh so don't forget to hit up impact comics and buy a comic while you're doing that because they would love you for that and so would we tom taylor australian author highly recommend all of his graphic novels there's a great suicide squad one just came out uh impact comics can sort you out with that uh so that's all the plugging isn't it uh, now, if you have a direct connection to this case and maybe you'd like to share your story, you can keep the conversation going by heading to our Facebook page or weirdcrapinaustralia.com. Sorry, weirdcrapinaustralia, I should say. Uh, same for our Instagram and on Twitter, we are at weirdcrapinaus. You can also shoot us a uh, good old-fashioned email weirdcrapinaustralia at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys, so please don't be shy. Let us know what you're thinking, feeling, and uh, we always uh, get back to our fans as soon as we can. We love you guys for reaching out to us as well. And that's all I got, Holly. I guess it's time for your final thoughts. Holly sleepy. Holly want to go to bed? Bedtime now. Bedtime for Holly. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Weird Crap in Australia. Don't forget there is much more weirdness around the corner and we will see you next time. Bye for now. See you then. The Weird Crap in Australia podcast is hosted and produced by Holly and Matthew Soule. Our editor is Blake Kell. Weird Crap in Australia is a production of The Modern Meltdown.